Hey, it's Doug and Randy, and you're listening to Unbroken Jars, Episode 7, Love Grows Here. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down. We're not destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and his power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, that is Jesus. Jesus continues to use real life stories of those around us to mold us. We will dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories. Their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in Unbroken Jars of Clay. Today we invited Andrea Williams to join us on Unbroken Jars. Andrea is an executive director of 305 8th Street. It's a faith-based nonprofit organization serving the needs of adults with disabilities ranging from autism, cerebral palsy, brain injury, uh, hearing impaired intellectual disabilities, mental illness, and visual impaired. Andrea, we appreciate you taking the time to, to record this with us today. Thank you. I admire what you're doing. Well, it's uh, it's it's fairly simplistic on our end. We don't know what we're doing always, so <laughs> um, so we appreciate anyone that's willing to come and sit and share kind of their story. So well, we want to begin. That's kind of the way the the way we begin every one of these things is. Can you tell us a little bit about you, you personally, um, and and then we'll dive into to some of the deeper things as we go along. Sure. Um, as a young baby, I was in foster care for three months, and then I was adopted by Al Monica Vosper and named Andrea Summer Vosper. And um, things didn't work out between my parents, so my mom pretty much raised me uh, from the age of two to 18. We lived down the street from my grandparents, Gordon Inez Baston. They ran 305 8th Street, the group home. It was known as 8th Street Group Home back then, and they also had the Baston home in Athens, Alabama. I never asked questions of the residents that they served except for days after school, between school and dance class, my grandparents would alternate picking me up from school and would ask um, me what I'd learned. And then when I got to 8th Street, I would do my homework and uh, I would ask questions like, why does Dottie get more allowance than I do? Uh, why do you, <laughs> why does Johnny bring the light bulb before he gets another light bulb for his lamp? I never asked, what are their disabilities? I never asked, how long had they been there? When did they get disabled? Um, and that's how my whole childhood upbringing was. I went, you know, to school in Madison, Alabama, graduated from Bob Jones, but in those elementary and middle school years on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, my granddaddy would pick me up and on Tuesday, Thursday, 
um, my granny would pick me up and we would go to eighth street and then we would go to dance class. And then my mother would pick me up after work and life was mundane. You never know that God is preparing you for, uh, your mission in life, uh, when you're young. And my grandparents never asked me one day, I'd like you to run eighth street. Um, and it didn't happen for a long time. I moved off. I went to Indiana university on a theater scholarship, uh, because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do in life. I thought, well, I'll just act it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just act it out. I like that. Yeah. I'll just play parts, you know, study the role. And at Indiana university, they said, um, you need a real, um, track with your <laughs> fine arts degree. <laughs> and so I chose communication cause there was less math. And so then I transferred <laughs> to, um, Auburn University. I took some classes at Calhoun and Southern Union to get the basics out of the way. But um, I moved down there. I had fallen in love on my senior trip in Cancun, Mexico. And uh, but I was 19 and I thought, well, I don't want to get married or I'm going to mm-hmm. IUS and ha- I'm going to college and I'm going to be an actress. And so... <laughs> Um, we dated my husband and I long distance for a couple years and then decided to, to, he was going to Calhoun. And so we both moved down. He moved in with a cousin, um, at Auburn and I moved into a small apartment and then later we were married. And then while in college, while we were married, we bought this old house and, the power went out and our first son was conceived. And so. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens in old yeah. It was colder inside than it was outside. But um, uh, yeah. That's how Lawson came into our lives. It took both my husband and I a little bit longer to complete uh, school, but he finished his degree in design. I had finished a year early in communication with the, um, minor in fine art at theater. And, um, and while I was in college, uh, I was so excited. I got a job as an in-kind manager at Alabama relation, Alabama relations on human services. And ACHR was, uh, a organization that served children that were underprivileged in, um, attending daycare programs and they had three centers and my job was to raise the match of in-kind donations and run a store for the Head Start parents and they could shop there for free. And I realized that the lessons on those trips to dance class and to 8th Street that my grandparents taught me that helping others, you get far more back in return than the paycheck. It's not about the pay. It's not about the, um, you know, the, oh, you're doing a good job. You really learn from the people that you help more than, than you could ever give. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed, you know, it was, it was a great challenge if somebody needed a dresser or if somebody needed a mattress and I'll never forget one of the Head Start's, um, parents, uh, you know, bringing me little gifts or something when they appreciated what, 
we were doing. And I, I've managed uh, staff for the first time young that drove the buses and I learned from them as mm-hmm. well. I, before working there, I thought you just have to work really hard and you can get ahead. And what I learned with working with low income families is it's, it's difficult. There's, uh, you know, different programs that you can attend, but it's still challenging to rise above when given a hand that's difficult to deal than others. So, right. But Daniel and I, um, fixed up that house and moved back and then, uh, rented and then moved back to Huntsville and we had our second son and it was great having children, having family around, moving back close to our moms and his dad. It was um, free babysitting. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, you know, for the last um, 20 years, we've been married and being back here in Madison County has been the best move we ever made. So we have now an 18 year old and a 14 year old. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness! Wow, wow, wow! Um, you are—you have a busy household if you got those two teenagers in your house. But uh, we've known Andrea uh, for several years through her connection to the work that's been done at three hundred five Eight Street. So, Andrea, I, I kind of want to let maybe this next question to lead in and just talk share about three hundred five. Can can you tell us, you know, what what is three hundred five Eight Street and and what is the work that goes on and takes place? Maybe the ministry, I should say it that way, that goes on and takes place there. Well, in the state of Alabama, you have to have a winning IQ score of 70 or below to get into intellectually disabled state group home care. So when you're thinking about children in school and you see that special ed class, you just assume that all those individuals in the special ed class are going to get into a, um, into, they're going to have programs the rest of their life. The reality is each state decides on the care, the rules that they'll provide for disabled adults. And in Alabama, they have, um, they have set the bar IQ for 70 and below for serving people with intellectual disabilities. And then you have your mentally ill substance abuse category, and that all falls under the Alabama Department of Health. And then when it gets to the county level, the funding splits. And um, Mm -hmm. it split in the 1980s. It used to be mental health and the intellectual disability office used to share properties together. And then they split those up. And what happened when the state separated the two units, which there's good in it and then there's bad, just like any decision that you have to make for a group of large people, you know, large population. But what it did is those individuals that have brain injury that become intellectually disabled after they, you know, get in a car wreck when they're 25, their only option is to go into a nursing home when really they might be cognitively better served to be in an intellectually disabled home, but because they were not a 70 IQ before the age of 18, they don't qualify to go into right. that program. And then you have those with intellectual disability that also have an underlying mental health diagnosis. It's not uncommon for us to have diabetes and high blood pressure. So why is it not uncommon to have a cognitive delay, and then also depression or anxiety. 
And so sometimes um, you have someone with a mental illness, but they have a low IQ and then the low IQ will say, no, they have a behavior um, and, and we can treat that. But then you have someone that has a low IQ and a higher mental health issue and they go to mental health and they'll say, well, that's a behavior. We don't treat behaviors. They have to benefit from therapy. And so Mm -hmm. there's a gap that happens for adults and their families. They graduate from high school. They can go up to the age of 21 and then bam, you know, people that are disabled, they live on, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, getting on the school bus. And then that just dies that a lot of times the behaviors increase when they when they stop going to school because parents don't have anywhere to send their children or the the programs are full, you know, um, Mm -hmm. or the services are diluted or they're too expensive or costly. So, um, I'll never forget when we had our first renovation at 305 H street, uh, basically to answer your question, that's how the mission of H street basically formed in 1979 before the rules changed in 82 we served a collection of mentally ill people that were from rescue missions Uh, we were a state licensed group Mm. home and and that's what we did then in 1982 we took in two individuals with intellectual disabilities that were graduating from foster care they had been in the system most of their lives and so they came into the home and when the rules changed. They were there about a year. The rules changed and you could no longer mix mentally ill with intellectually disabled and bill for those services. But at this point, Anthony and Sheila called my grandparents, mom and dad, and they lost all the state funding. They turned it into a new nonprofit 10 years later. (laughs) And that's how 305 H street, um, survived for 10 years they had applied for the nonprofit status. And so when um, they finally got it in 1992, my grandmother named it Jehovah Jireh Incorporated because she said that the Lord had provided um, (laughs) for 10 years. And so, um, you know, um, after that, uh, it was, you know, board of directors and, um, and, I remember them getting the first HUD grant um, and the thing that um, I love about H Street is is the diversity of people. We now serve such a wide right. range of disabilities and we've grown to have other properties surrounding H Street that um, mm-hmm. offering 24-hour care to a diverse population, it, all it spells out is family you it the diversity uh we have residents that cannot read and then they have friends that read for them we have residents who are depressed and bipolar and the intellectually disabled love you for everything just gets in your face and ask how their day's doing um you know like um they really um balance each other out and um And so I cannot believe that we have a $600,000 budget, basically 
that's a lot of that's in kind, but the residents only contribute you know, half of that, less than half of yeah. that. And, uh, and since 1979, the Lord has provided. There's not a time in my 12 years that working here that I've, I've I, it's not that I don't worry, but I have countless times testimonies to fall back on right. that, you know, tell you just have faith because this worked out and that worked out. Right. So it's, well, let me ask, uh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was just going to, I'm going to ask you, you know, well, a couple of, just a couple of quick questions. Uh, one, what, so, so how do you, how do you, how do you get your um, clients or residents there? How does that, um, how does that work? Did that, do you get those from, are they, I mean, how do you, how do they find you or you find them? Um, D, DHR will pick up um, some intellectually disabled adults when they're put into missions or run away from a situation. Um, we've worked, I'd say the majority of our residents um, that are on emergency basis come through DHR. Um, the Department of Human Resources, or um, our referrals from other um, uh-huh. programs. Uh, recently, we've taken um, a few adults from Huntsville Hospital that get put in um, the hospital, and people basically drop them off and say, we can't take care of them anymore. So this past year, we took in two, one, um, you know, Story's all different, but one of my favorite is we took in a guy this past year and he he had gotten knocked over with um, a forklift of two by fours and was brain dead and actually huh. died and came back and then had a brain injury. And so he came to live at 8th Street while he was living at 8th Street. He remembered his ABCs, his 123s, phone numbers, and regained all of his mental health and went back to work. Get out of town. At the oh, lumber wow. yard that he was at. And so. <laughs> at the same lumber yard. Yeah. They, That's crazy. Wow. It was wow. amazing. Well, um, so, so, so you, you mentioned, you mentioned just a minute ago that you, you've been there, what, 12 years? Mm-hmm. You're, well, as far as working. So how did that, how do I say that? How did that unfold? How did you end up um, working there or, you know, kind of going coming back there to actually manage or lead this? Uh, the first year after my, um, my husband and I got married in 2000, my grandparents passed away in 2001, three months away from each other. Uh, you mm. turned around or no, it was three weeks, three weeks away from it. It was a funeral after funeral. Wow. It was just one, two, wow. three. And um, so other family members ran the home. It was kind of thrown into their laps. It's not something that they aspired to do or, you know, so it was an overwhelming responsibility to take on 8th Street. There wasn't a succession plan in place when my grandparents passed away. So um, I guess a few years went by and the responsibility and the number of folks that were in the home and just the burnout that can occur, um, taking care of people. Um, the, the family members were, were not, were totally burnout. 
and absolutely yeah. I, w- I could imagine I had sure. been working at the arts council and I was on the board and um the board and the bylaws and and articles only required us to meet once a year and when you're running a nonprofit, that's a big no-no you don't want to meet once a year uh mm-hmm. so we would meet at the arts council um you can't meet an hour over a year's worth of financials and, and things. So I just started to visit. And when I started to visit and I realized the wear and tear that it had done on my family members and the wear and tear that was happening to the home, um, we had no choice, but to think we've got to close down. That was, Mm. we've got to, uh, find these people places and, uh, close this down. So, uh, they were terminated and I was made interim, uh, and I volunteered for the first, uh, six months. And, um, I thought I'm going to get the people properly moved in place. This is very sad. And within a few weeks, I realized there's that brick wall you hit and I would have been taking mm-hmm. 21 people to the rescue mission because for this or that reason, they didn't oh, qualify man. for wow. a, um, a program. And so while I was able to get some in, I closed the Baston home and moved people over to 8th Street and just focused on 305 8th Street. And mm-hmm. I thought, I'm helping the people I used to play Uno and Bingo with but it only takes a minute for <laughs> yeah. for the new ones to start dangling from your heartstrings, and yeah. um, and so for the first year, I was like, all right, I got to get this together, and then I got to go back <laughs> to my my job, and then it, I just absolutely loved it. I was in such a poor place when we moved back from Auburn. Um, but we had, um, started a business and it was right when Brack hit and it, and the, the, it did not work out. So we Mm. lost our, um, we, we went down to one car, the house that we were going to stay in for two years turned into a 10 year plan. The, um, (laughs) our washer and dryer was broke. You know, I'd be toting clothes then you know it was that but h street was i was so down on our situation when i started helping h street all of that went away because of that lesson Mm, my grandparents taught me about helping others and sure i was amazed at how fun it was because their, unfortunately, their problems were way more enormous than mine, and I had, and it was a project. It was a, it, sure. it continues to be a project. They need, they need our help, and, um, and so, I just, I'm not going anywhere. I, I, they couldn't kick me so out if they tried. <laughs> yeah. Now you're one of the residents. They just don't realize they're taking care of you. Yeah. Kay, uh, the wellness supervisor, and I tell them that we're we're ready to move in when, <laughs> yeah. when the time yeah. comes. Well, in, in that vein, one of the things that we were thinking through, and, and part of the story is about the faith journey that people go on. And uh, I'd love for you to 
tell us a little bit about your faith walk and getting as you were getting involved with these people with special needs, what that did for your faith, and along with what working with 3058 Street has has shown you and taught you and about God's faithfulness and or the struggles. Uh, you know, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, to think that no one has struggles is just nuts. And when we focus on the struggles more than the possible outcomes, it can really tear a person down. And uh, so true. Um, you can be married and have children and have everything in the world, but still feel empty. And, um, mm-hmm. and I had a place of emptiness where I wasn't full. I didn't have purpose. I, other than being a mom and working a job I didn't like, um, I was just kind of miserable and, uh, mm-hmm. a smile on my face, of course, but then, you know, at night it'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't like this job. It's not my strength. And so when I started, um, working with hate street, the first thing that, that the residents do, I still have one that calls me today that has dementia that's in Vernon, Alabama, uh-huh. is they ask you how you're doing. You go other places, they ask you, where are you working now? How's your family? What are you doing? Right. But the first thing that a resident asks you is, how are you doing? How's your family Uh doing? They did not care that I did not have a car. They did not care that I didn't have the house of my dreams or that I wasn't where I thought I should be at 27. They just wanted to know how I was doing. And That, to me, I think we get so detached from the human spirit. We get so much on on the things of, of everybody and the, the clothes that they wear, the, the car that they drive, and the house that they live in, that what I love about the residents is they just take you for where you are. They want to know how you're doing, and they want to know if you do drive a nice car, they want to ride around in it. Don't get me wrong, but (laughs) (laughs) they, they have taught me, um, to rewind and, um, be appreciative of, of what you have, what God has given you and, and what I've, I've learned in taking care of them is that, um, the gifts that they've given me. Uh, I have countless stories of their faith and how it's transformed me where they have had a way worse hand dealt to them than I ever had and how resilient they were and how they Mm -hmm. embrace their challenge and turn it into something beautiful. We have a resident that was discharged this year that broke her leg and is now hundred percent dependent on, you know, getting fed, bathed, everything. Uh, she can feed herself, but she can't go uh-huh. get her snack out of the, the cabinet. And this last week and talking to her, she said, 
um, I think God's purpose is for me to be here with my roommate. She's a paraplegic and I dial the phone for her. (laughs) It's just, it's it's things like that, that Mm. they whittle life down in such little vignettes of how God works. And, and that's what I love about, um, how they've strengthened my faith. And then, sure. I think if you're ever worried about having that extra kid, if you're worried about adopting that person into your life, God always makes time for it. Um, he always provides the money for it. And he's always going to put clothes on the backs of those that need it. And I, I do believe that if you believe that you will be blessed it's cool how y'all have filled the gap and y'all have taken up and, and these people who are basically going to be homeless, they're going to be on the streets. They have no place that God has placed it on y'all's heart and you've stepped in with on your faith journey and, and stepped up to that. And I know you even telling some of those stories is, is pretty cool. And I know Randy has a question about the stories, but, um, it's cool to hear how God's worked on you and I'm sure your entire family through this process. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, you already alluded to this, but, and maybe just maybe, I know there's probably so many stories you could share, but um, maybe share a story of um, that's happened there where you just realized it came to you. This is why I'm doing this. This is exactly why God's put me here. Uh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing what I need to be doing. Could you share, I mean, you have to be confidential maybe with the names, but can you share like maybe a story that, that kind of has that, it has had impacted you that way. That's, that's just kind of firm that what you're doing is, uh, what you need to be doing. Um, there's so many when, When I, when I thought that I was going to have to shut it down and mm-hmm. we thought we had negative money in our operations account and I couldn't give money the allowance and all I had was $50 to divvy out amongst all of them and say, I'm sorry. Um, oh, wow. He, I was trying to do it all by myself those first couple months and I failed miserably. Um, the, the little bit of social security that came in was gone in half the month and I was trying to figure out how to feed them and all of that by myself and uh, with the help of some family. But when I, when that happened and I broke down and cried in front of all of them, they all circled around me and they hugged me and um, I said, if y'all go to church or you do anything, if you know, just tell them we need, we need, th- we need help. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just an emotional wreck at that point, trying to do it for six weeks by myself and, and then wow. falling apart. And so that following Monday, I had a lady call and she was kind of angry. Why are they not getting fed over there? And so I explained, well, this is what's happened. And she was my first board member uh, to join. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. The, um, the fear 
of people joining the board at that point with no um, liability insurance was a great challenge. Just their faith, like, I'm going to help this organization. It could be the ruin of me, but these people need help. So I can't believe how many residents solicited their churches or called people, letting them know that we needed food and that we were trying to get it together. And that's what transformed H Street is, is realizing that you can't do it alone ever in life right. and that you have to solicit others to help walk alongside you to do the mission work. Yeah. Amazing. I think it's so cool too that, that it went back to the residents. Yeah. It's always them that you think you're doing something for them and they do twice as much for you growing as a person. Yeah. No, Mayfair has had some connection over there over, over our, our span of time um, over the last, I would say maybe 10 years. Uh, eight to 10 years. I know I've been connected in one yes. way or another. Randy's been connected in one way or another. Of course, Lee's been connected and there's a lot of our members who have just fallen in love with the residents. And it really is cool to see how God works through the residents on us. I think there's such a simplicity there. I think you've alluded to this a lot, but there's such a simplicity there that helps us see the face of God clearer because we as you know, these people with intellect, I don't even know if I get to, to, to lean into that category, but either way, regardless, right? Yeah. Um, these people with IQs that are supposedly right. above 70, like ourselves, are supposed to have it all figured out in reality. Maybe we're the ones missing. I love that. Yeah. There's at least a few people listening to this podcast. We've uh, over the uh, over the last few weeks, at least proven that. So of, of those listening out there, um you know, there may be somebody going, I want to, I want to donate to that, or I want to volunteer for that, or I want to be a part of 3058th Street. And if, uh, you know, if somebody is having that, what is some way that people could get involved, donate, volunteer, et cetera? Um, if you are on Facebook and you look up 3058th Street, um, Jeffrey Scarborough, a resident, um, helps keep everyone informed uh, on our website. You can um, meet, you can see oh, all you. of the residents on the about us page. You can read a little bit about them. Mm -hmm. They're in need of prayer. So a way you can help us pray for them. The other um, ways to help is by providing funding for their match for care. Um, most of our residents are all on sliding scale. And so the cost of care is more exceeds what they can provide. So scholarship money helps. And then um, if you have a talent or skill, we have volunteers signing up to do virtual computer classes. Um, we have art, you know, art volunteers and event volunteers. Mm -hmm. And um, there's ways for young children to help um, that, there's a ton of ways to help the family of H Street by just knocking on the door. Uh, before COVID and the pandemic, we had an open door policy and we had probably 50 volunteers a week. 
with trying to keep our residents safe. It's kind of changed. So we're doing porch visits and um, that sort of thing. But um, it has been uh, great when we've been able to get our volunteer basis back up. Um, because the residents get so tired of me and the others that they, they really love the volunteer engagement. <laughs> I, I bet they don't get too tired of you. But that visit our website, all the you know the contact information two five six four eight nine two nine nine seven or three zero five eight street dot org. Um, you know, give us a, yeah, a look. Thank you for that. I, Andrea, we, we really appreciate we really appreciate this this time. You I know you're busy, Thank busy you. uh, with so many things there, but we really appreciate you joining us in today on this conversation and sharing about three well, not only sharing about three oh five, but sharing your story uh, and how God kind of opened some doors uh, when you were very young to kind of lead you and prepare you for what you're doing now. Um, and we and I know personally how many people you've impacted and and how the how 305 touches a lot. Well, I appreciate what y'all are doing. Well, I, we, we want to, uh, before we close our conversation, I was wondering, I would like to lead a prayer, close and pray over you and 305 if that's okay. And um, and I think Doug, Doug has something, I think maybe we'll say it after the prayer. Yeah, thank you. Just thank you again for, for doing this and what you do and continue to do. And we, we hope to hopefully do another Valentine dance or something so soon again or be able to connect with you guys i know until I know. Ends, but we, we we know it's been a challenging time for you guys and we, we just want you to know we know you're there we know the great work you're doing we appreciate it so uh, I'll, I'll i'll pray over us here okay thank you dear god our father we uh we thank you so much for um blessing us with uh the stories and and the intersection of the lives of people throughout this community who are doing uh, good works, Father, um, helping those who can't help themselves, helping those who sometimes are those who are unseen or unnoticed. And we thank you so much for Andrea, for the heart she has, for these special uh, people that she serves and her staff serves at 3058 Street. We're grateful, Father, for her story, for her family, for the compassion she has and the, and the desire she has to, to love on these people. And uh, they're all people just like us, made and created in your image, uh, Father. And we pray that you would continue to bless the ministry there. Uh, it's a challenging time right now, we know. And we know, uh, Father, that you are aware of all the good that's taking place there. And we pray your hand be upon Andrea and the others. Give them patience. Give them strength. Give them courage. May they continue to have faith, Father, to know that the work that they're doing is not going unnoticed and is also impacting the lives of these precious men and women who, who call that home. Mm-hmm. We pray, Father, uh, that you would continue to bless us and lead us. May we be challenged, Father, uh, those of us listening today, that whether we do big things or good things, but look for ways that we can be of service to others. And when we do that, it's a double blessing, Father. Not only are the people we're serving blessed, but we're blessed as well. And you're honored by that. Again, thank you for this time together. It's in your Son and our Savior's name. Sweet name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Andrew, we really appreciate you. You know, one of one of the things we hope that that the conversations when we when we interview people that those listening, we hope that'll help people visualize how to engage the world and how to take their interest and their the things that they're passionate about, the things that touch their heart, the things that are passed down from their family, and they engage them and love people for Christ the way you have and the way you've modeled that. We appreciate we appreciate you doing that because it's such we don't have that a lot in churches, right? We don't have the ability to tell our stories as well um, as we'd like to. And that's what the body of Christ is for. It's for, it's, it's all of us. We're on a journey and maybe it's a journey to, to work at 305 8th street with, with, uh, with people of different mental intellect than we're used to and how God uses them to teach us. Or maybe it's, you know, cleaning streets. I don't know. Now we want all people listening to this to, to, to engage the world for Christ. So we appreciate you sharing your story in your life today. Thank you. Thank you for uh, an opportunity to share it and for what you all are doing, encouraging others to share. Thank you for listening today. We appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experiences of real life stories and real faith that you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.